Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I am Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source. I am joined by Nicole Vulcan, our editor. We are powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper, celebrating our 25th anniversary this month. We are inviting all podcast listeners and readers to come to our anniversary party on August 10th, which will be in the historical museum parking lot between KPOV and The Source. Uh, we're glad you're taking some time, some of your time, to listen to us chat with people who shaped our local community. As you can see, we are in the KPOV studios again today. We have a different configuration than we did last week, but we, we're continuing to experiment with the space. We're, I'm, I'm digging our backdrop here, which we've got. We look super professional. Yeah, pro. We've got a, we got a, a nice boom mic shoved in here. Uh, we're talking today with Eric Lint. Lint has worked in politics across the Northwest, approaching it from a variety of perspectives, from newsroom to lobbyist, congressional office to campaign trail. Eric now form, informally consults for civic groups and candidates across Central Oregon with a focus on data and outreach. He maintains a really great local website, a politics blog, bendvotes.com, that I enjoyed uh, surfing today. Lint a lot. Uh, Eric, thanks for joining us. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me. Hey, you caught our attention from some of the data and number crunching you've done following recent elections, something you do on the side uh, in addition to your regular work. Why jump in and do this work? Why, why put in all this time on uh, things like your website? Yeah, so my background, uh, my day job is in uh, health science communication. I work remotely, one of those people in Bend here, um, but I previously worked in a local medical lab um, and the civic work that I do here has always been on the side. It's always been after hours and additional hours. So it's always been my 41st hour of the week, you know, every time that I go do something sit in the civic arena. Um, and I'm a renter um, who once served on my uh, local neighborhood association board. Um, and when I moved to Bend, um, you know, I came here because my wife got a job, um, followed her down. As you mentioned, I've, I've previously worked in politics, uh, variously lobbying the state legislature up in Washington State in Olympia. Um, I've worked with congressional offices and I've done formal campaign work. Um, so I had a variety of experience and, and Bend, you know, we've got so many great people in this town with deep expertise. You know, we've met, uh, I met the guy who invented ultrasound here, right? There's so many cool people in this town with great experience. Um, but a lot of folks are living their lives and they're busy. And for whatever reason, you know, there's people doing Sierra Club environmental work over here and social justice work over there. And then there's the politics works over here. So how do you stitch all that together? And that's kind of where I found my groove is uh, trying to weave between the different organizations and trying to connect the dots and, and fill in with different places like, hey, I can help you fix your website. Um, you said you wanted to help doing the live stream. I can help with that. Um, so it's just kind of been informally finding where I can fit in and help out. But you're also doing this kind of number crunching thing, you know, looking for data to present. So yeah. how do you decide like what, what you want to pursue? Is it based on the lack of coverage elsewhere or how do you decide? Yeah, um, choice stuff. It, it really is kind of that, like, you know, I, 
I worked in a uh, regional newsroom covering uh, politics and supporting their data work uh, during the 2012 elections. So I, I saw what there was an appetite for there. And then coming here, um, just, you know, working in, informally. I know all of our great local journalists from TV, radio, uh, free paper, and in the bulletin. You guys are so busy doing great coverage, covering the water uh, rights issues and, and all these deep reported uh, um, stories. But the boring, you know, watching the numbers and seeing candidate filings, sometimes that doesn't really merit a story. But the weaving it all together sometimes creates a story and creates a baseline understanding that helps you move forward. So that's kind of what I, I try to do is to... to find ways to give people the tools to better engage civically. Eric, what, what is it in your background that, <clears throat> I mean, gave you the, the base of experience? I mean, it's obviously something that moved from being <clears throat> something you probably were forced to do at one point to earn coin of the realm and now you find pleasure in it. But um, how, do you, how does one get to the place where you're at? Well, all right, going all the way back, my granddad tried to, to get me interested in, in baseball, so he gave me a bunch of baseball cards. I didn't really care. Instead, I started making a database on Appleworks with five and a quarter floppy disks, and, and that, I was that kind of person from the start. So I guess a little bit of it is just who I am, but... Um, I thought you were really, going to start in on a Moneyball story. Or right. like you flipped the card over and started crunching the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a data hoarder. So, you know, like I save articles, I screenshot things and I just kind of have that encyclopedic memory for certain trivia type things. Um, and hopefully I can find ways to make that useful, but also taking it back to, um, before I went back to college, I was a contractor for the army, um, at the army intelligence school for Wachuca. And, I was working on rewriting interrogator training following the Abu Ghraib scandal in 2004, right? Um, so I worked closely with interrogations training, but also counterintelligence training. So I kind of keep an eye on what does the playing field look like? Who's on the field? Who's entering? How are the interconnected relationships among different people, not just funders, but also you know, how people interact with each other and who has power and, and who shares it? So those are the kind of questions that I really like following. Um, so and that's been useful in a variety of roles. Yeah. yeah, so let's like talk about how that specifically applies locally. What are some of the races or, um, I don't know, fundraising arenas that you're most interested in? Is it like local, state, regional? Um, yeah, and talk a little bit about any details about any of those. Yeah, so, you know, federal races are always interesting. That's where... Um, you know, a lot of the donor money goes is to Senate, Congress, of course, president, um, those kind of races. But there's so much interesting stuff happening at the local level. Um, you know, state politics in Oregon can sometimes feel like a machine in the Portland area. But over here in central Oregon, we've got our own civic culture separate from all of that. You know, the, the local Democratic Party here is highly engaged. The Deschutes County Republican Party, they're doing some kind of impressive stuff, how they're networking with national groups. Now, I don't agree with some of the things they're doing, but they are organizing in a certain way that is really kind of interesting. Um, so there's 
the moving people and ideas around that's happening. But then there's also the policy work that you're seeing at the local level with like uh, Jason Krupp uh, supporting our Ben city councilors in certain policies, right? And then um, how those policies can then be received on Nextdoor, for example. Um, right, right. Nextdoor is catching all of our attention as like the, the talking place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Facebook uh, doesn't get as many mentions anymore, it seems. Uh, there's, there's still stuff happening there, but uh, Nextdoor is kind of stealing the show. Yeah. Well, the, the level of vitriol on that, on that platform is uh, ripe for entertainment, regardless of which yeah. political side you're on the entertainment level is pretty high people are are uh, not ashamed to share some uh, pretty crazy opinions yeah and it's a good example too though because uh how do people get engaged in politics that's one of the questions i'm always interested in because I, I deal with a lot of outreach and how do you connect people with people you know meet people where they are as popular saying in politics but how do people engage and like Nextdoor has a good example. A lot of people complain about that thing down the street and then they'll find out who to complain to. So then they go to their neighborhood association or their city councilor. And it's that one issue that starts the ball rolling. But you might notice that they're still there six months later, commenting on a different issue and now they're engaged. So how does that ball get rolling? I think it's always kind of interesting. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, following the last election, you did a lot of number crunching, you presented some data. What were some of the things that kind of got the most traction or the most conversation pieces uh, in regards to local elections? So last year we had um, the contentious school board elections. Uh, that was in spring of 2021. And that coincided with the national movement talking about CRT and, and all these Things that no one cared about the, just six months earlier, right? Mm -hmm. um, Deschutes County and, and the Ben Lapine School Board, um, we had some deep-pocketed individuals involved with that, and they were able to leverage their connections to get some national attention early on. Uh, there was an appearance on Fox News, and that kind of invigorated that side but it also drew in the, I guess, the liberal uh, side. It's nonpartisan races, but you know, it kind of fell into liberal versus conservative terms. And folks had their ideas about what mattered to them, but they didn't necessarily know the names of the candidates or just how much money was moving around here. And that's what I was trying to, to bring to the surface was showing that you know these four candidates are not are actually working in coordination. And that was kind of novel. Um, that's, that's a little bit unusual, seeing candidates work so closely together, not as like all members of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or whatever, but actually pooling funds, advertising together. They had each had um, Facebook and Twitter accounts, and they posted the exact same image at the same time, the, the same message um, across the four different accounts. Um, so it was kind of an interesting thing that that drew out a lot of attention from people who didn't necessarily always follow those kind of races. Eric, I was surprised, and, and maybe you can comment on this or something that you saw, um, how <clears throat> heated at the 
and that crop health race got in, in the last election where you saw um, <clears throat> that messaging get uh, get ramped up. Yeah. And, and you could see outside influences. It felt very um, other. You know, <clears throat> we commented it in some of the writing that we did where, you know, having published for 25 years and, and watched these political races, <clears throat> I was surprised that <clears throat> The level of sophistication, but also the, the kind of the tenor and the tone, which yeah. felt a little like they were missing the key for, for what people wanted to hear here. Right. Yeah. That I think that's a really, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's a thread between those two races or the, those two, you know, elections and that those candidates actually lost in the, in, you know, in the health race and also the school board candidates you're mentioning, that wasn't a successful uh, endeavor. Yeah even though it might have, you know, raised a lot of conversation. Well, it cost a lot of money, I imagine. Yeah, well. yeah. And, and that's kind of interesting is we're seeing a lot of money being spent at the local level, like Bend City Council races are getting really expensive, whereas, you know, a winning candidate could uh, make it through with $20,000 before, you know, the, the lowest spent was, I think, 36000 last time. Um, whereas the losing candidates spent upwards of $130,000. And, and we're not seeing money bringing the win, uh, but with health specifically and those um, conservative school board candidates, those are two interesting examples because each of them hired out of state consultants. Mm -hmm. And you know, being someone who works with messaging and in politics, my hunch is that they let those consultants lead a little more than was wise. Um, in health's case, she used FP1 strategies out of uh, Virginia and in the DC area. And they ran campaigns for like Steve King in Iowa, the notorious racist, right? Um, they were a bunch of other more mainstream Republicans as well, but they never really ran a campaign like health's. So when they brought out that one ad that was kind of labeled as QAnon curious, talking about child sex trafficking, right. as, postcard mailer, that kind of crossed the line for a lot of uh, voters who were otherwise sympathetic to health to that point, it seemed. Um, the campaign had, had taken a negative turn already, but it was when that messaging that felt so inappropriate to the moment when QAnon was in the headlines and, you know, it was kind of a moral position to not veer close to that to not rile up your base using that kind of thing. Um, it, it seemed like a missed cue from consultants, I think. As you were looking at those races before the outcomes, um, if you had a, had been able to predict what was gonna go on, I mean, that all this cash is going in, all this conversation, would you have predicted those races would have come out the way they did? I think so. Um, this is a good question, I think, uh, for Bend and Central Oregon now is, is to what extent is the blue shift a demographic shift versus organizing and, and field work mm -hmm. on behalf of these campaigns? You know, how much can you buy a race? Um, are the numbers just not there for Republicans anymore? Well, the well map, I was looking on your website at your um the breakdowns that you had for the new redistricting. And um, it certainly seems like it's uh, from those, it's it's obviously getting going beyond purple into blue uh, in areas that 
especially in what I was surprised at is in the <clears throat> kind of that northwestern corner where that's traditionally pretty red and yeah. it doesn't look that way now. Yeah, that's true. Um, like Bend City Limits proper is pretty solidly blue. Um, I think just on a demographic standpoint, but like we said, we're, we're seeing the, the backlash to a 7-0 city council, um, whether that's targeted fairly or not. Um, I think sometimes it's a matter of perception. Um, but, you know, there's lots of conversations happening on Nextdoor and just elsewhere, too, that people are concerned for whatever reason about their community. And, and it's easy to see a 7-0 uh, majority and, and hope for moderation. Um, whether a differently composed council would have done things differently, who knows? But I, I think what it comes down to is candidates are always matter. Um, you remember we had uh, a gentleman running against uh, uh, Rita Schenkelberg the last time around, who few were really familiar with, and his campaign didn't go very far. So you know you don't have to be the most dynamic uh, Barack Obama level candidate, but can it does matter, but you also need that, that field game too to go knock on doors. You have to have people that care about you to go work for you and money can't replace that. Yeah, I, so I wanna like belabor the, you know, the fundraising thing a little bit because you had some inf interesting info about the Deschutes Republicans and some of their fundraising tactics that they're using yeah. now. Um, yeah, tell us about that, what you found out. Yeah, and there's, there's different things happening, like with the school board races, where they created that pack um, and did coordinated activities. Um, that was kind of unusual as far as school board races go, right? Um, that same year, last year in Redmond, um, we saw similar things, not as well structured, but where they, for example, bought a billboard together. All of the conservative candidates bought a billboard on 97 together. And some of the candidates didn't report their campaign finance uh, figures to the state. They say they didn't reach the threshold for reporting, but it's kind of questionable when you buy a billboard and, and show off the things that they showed off on Facebook, it seems like they got pretty doggone close. So there's, there's some kind of skirting um, what's reportable happening. Uh, there's some interesting things happening with structured um, payments and, and that sort of thing. But one thing that's kind of interesting now, this past year we've been seeing with the Deschutes County Republicans in particular, they're doing a lot of fundraising using, um, it, it, it's payments for, or I forget the exact term, but it's, it's um, items sold at fair market value. So when they have their monthly meetings, they charge $30 a plate for dinner, for example. They have auctions. They auctioned off a baseball bat signed by uh, General Michael Flynn after his uh, Make America Great Again tour, right? So they're, they're doing things like this that when it's an item sold, you just report $500 for an item sold at fair market value. You don't say $500 from Betty Smith over there. So it kind of obfuscates the sources of income. And um, so, do you... It, I mean, as Ben gets more larger, more politically savvy, I mean, this is this kind of, these kind of fundraising tactics, are they 
unique or are they just things that these that they're importing from larger markets? I mean, what's your feel? My initial impression was that they just didn't quite understand how reporting works, you know, because a lot of this stuff is done by volunteers. And I thought it might have just been an accident, but it kind of at this point now, it seems like it's a regular thing. Um, so to the extent that it's done to intentionally obfuscate, I don't know that it's done intentionally to obfuscate, but it does seem like it's being done because it's easier in a certain way. Um, but what we are me wonder, you know, are there folks who know um, maybe it's not um, socially acceptable to right. donate to the party? You know, they don't want to be known in business for donating to the party, for example. Yeah. Um, and there's some good examples of that because there are um, there are a handful of big dollar donors that we're seeing, like Jonna Polish, uh, the wife of one of the, the men who run Polish Homes, right? She became highly active in the anti-vax movement before the COVID pandemic. There was a state a piece of state legislation that came up and it activated a lot of these concerned mothers that are act, uh, concerned about uh, vaccine requirements. They rallied around Senator Tim Canope, who shares their views, and then found that pathway into the Shoots County Republican Party. They were appointed the legislative uh, chair and uh, I think outreach chair and a couple positions that didn't exist before uh, were made to keep these people involved. Um, I don't know if they hold those positions still, but uh, we saw $10,000 recently from John Apolish to Michael Sype, and that's just one payment. They're giving large uh, payments to other candidates as well. I was a little surprised to see that a political candidate was presenting sponsor of the fair, and you mentioned that with Sype. Um, what does that look like in terms of the thing, kind of things we're talking about when it comes to reporting or... I mean, are we going to see like <clears throat> various events with uh, political uh, title sponsors and stuff in the future? I really hope that's not a thing. Um, <laughs> I really hope this is just a, a one off. You know, Michael Sype comes from a business background. Uh, if you look at his Facebook page, he lists like six different companies that he's entrepreneur CEO of. So he's, he's that kind of guy, um, which... More power to you. Uh, but he's also been highly active in uh, promoting a lot of big local civic things like the prayer breakfast locally, uh, the Christmas parade and those kind of things where you do a lot of boosterism. So I think this is just something that kind of makes sense to him in particular. And I'm not sure that it'll, it'll quite pay off. Um, now, HD 53 is probably one of the closer races just because of how it was drawn. Yeah. And um where it is that Senator Knope as a uh, minority leader had some say in that uh, to Jack Zika's detriment. But um, I think sponsoring the county fair is the kind of bold thing that will get you name recognition, but it also seems a little cartoonishly over the top. Yeah, so for those not familiar, House 53 used to be more of a Redmond Bend district. Now it's more heavily Redmond. Um, which, you know, does kind of change the voting pattern, I'm sure. Um, do you think that, that each candidate is kind of like at this point, so we have Emerson Levy on the, on the Democratic side, and then we've got Michael Seip on the Republican side. Do you think each of them are just, you know, 
they're they're running their race in their respective cities they think they can win or what's the what's the tactic here for them to, to win that race yeah i hard to say because i, I want to see more of this play out at this point um you know this also includes sisters and sisters is it feels like a blue city but it's not quite solidly blue right uh it's a small town but it still matters and showing up matters for these candidates. Um, so I think just basic retail politics is gonna go a long way for these guys. Um, but ultimately it's probably gonna come down to reputation and competence for the job. Do people feel like you will do a good job? Do people feel like your money was uh, sloshing around a little too much um, as a substitute for something else? Um, it's hard to say how those attitudes will form at this point, but um, it's definitely one to watch, I think. Yeah, Eric, as you, um, as you do mo a lot more of this data mining and um, your profile uh, goes up in terms of what you're bringing to the political landscape, has, um, ha has that level of scrutiny uh, done anything to you or the way you're, you're going about what you're, your, your, your projects here? Yeah. Um, well, it hasn't helped me land a job that pays more than rent. So there's that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, no, I, I'm, I'm kind of like in this informal uh, consultant area that I say, like I, I've worked with candidates and civic groups, uh, but never really in a paid role. Um, it's more like when I publish something on Twitter or throw some stats online, a can candidate might reach out like, hey, uh, can you do that for my race too? Um, so more informally like that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fun driving the conversation and, and talking with people all across the spectrum about this stuff. So just beyond, you know, just having conversations with people, why do you want to do this work? And, you know, what do you get out of it? Yeah. Um, I, it's just what I enjoy. You know, I went to college for, uh, politics, philosophy, and economics. And uh, like I said, I've always kind of been the, the data-oriented person, but also that human side of things and, and bringing the two together, you know, um, connecting those relationships and, and, and uh, showing how it all works together, I think. Um, I like making things more accessible to people. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Nextdoor and how, you know, the way you see it, it gives people a little bit of a mechanism to find out how to get involved. But from your perspective, what are the, you know, what are the ways that you suggest that individuals get involved in politics if that's their interest? Um, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's my favorite question. Really, it's just find something that interests you, show up and show up enough that you start learning the vocabulary, that you start recognizing the faces and then Sooner or later, you'll see somewhere that you can fit in, um, find, find your niche. Um, not everyone has to volunteer, you know, sometimes it's just helping being that connector, you know, if you're in this one group and then you go to another group's meeting, well, you can tell them like, Hey, my, my friends over here were talking about this last week. And just that kind of cross-pollination, it's super vital for local civic uh, groups. Um, you know, that's, that's how things move forward is building those relationships together and keeping trust. Mm -hmm. Eric, you, you touched a little bit on 
your philosophy regarding the evolving political culture here let you know but maybe we could just speak again to that notion that you know a lot of people talk about you know where people are coming from where they're moving from is the impetus behind most of the political change that that we're seeing here in bed we're booming and they're moving here from large urban areas and that's making us more blue but you're speaking a little bit more towards people and people shaping that what's your feeling about how that push and pull works because I think most people think, well, you're they're bringing the they're bringing the blue or they're bringing the red in from Orange County or something like that. Yeah, well, I, I think a good way to look at this is like Tony Devone. You know, he lived in Hawaii, right? Is he bringing those Hawaii liberal values here? No, he no. doesn't seem but like it. I, right. I'm not picking up a Hawaiian vibe from Tony yeah, right. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting case because what I think is happening is is like not necessarily describing the reality of the place, but your perception of it. Is your view the old vision of Bend or the new vision of Bend? And that's kind of the breakdown that we're seeing, whether you're a retiree from California or a 20-something from Texas. It doesn't really matter. It's more about your perception and your approach to this. Um, and, you know, with the Tony DeBone example, you know, he's been in office for a long time and he kind of represents that old vision. Um, you know, we've got new ways of thinking about land use and, and you know, different policies, health uh, policies uh, at, at the county level. Um, so will we see a shift there? Um, I think that's something to watch as well. So if people come to an area like just obviously, let's talk about here, and they think they have a certain perception of a place, where do you think they pick up that perception of the place? Is it when they get here, before they get here? What are those places that I think that's where they're going to the source weekly website and, you know, they should, and they should, uh, you know, give that monthly donation as well. Um, (laughs) I like that plug, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it comes down to relationships and and who you talk to really. Um, You know, there is an interesting thing with like Chris Piper. He's never really been active in politics before. Right. He got appointed to city council and he's decided he liked it, but then he lost. And one thing I was watching was how he acted in those months following. There wasn't much public, but if you look at like his Twitter activity, his likes and some of the small behaviors, he was learning how to be a Republican in that little interim phase, preparing for what comes next. He was meeting with officials and the kind of people that you need to run a campaign. And he was learning through that phase. So part of it kind of falls you know, uh, where you land in, in things and, and who your social circles are, who are the people that you trust and what do they think? Um, so I think that's why that cross-pollination among groups is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Eric, we're kind of winding down on our time. Uh, anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to touch on before, uh, before we part ways? No, um, I think if there's any takeaway for um, local politics, it's just pay attention. Um, you know, there's always something happening, um, whether it's your neighborhood level, um, state policy changing things or whatever. Um, find something that works for you, whether it's Reddit or the Source Weekly or Twitter or or whatever. Find a way to find a way to stay engaged. And and if you find something that uh, interests you, reach out, talk to the people, and 
you'll probably find a, a new and fun way to fit in. Yeah. Well, um, of course, we'll be checking out benvotes.com throughout the political season, seeing what our friend Eric Lint is doing over there and what he what he's finding out um, as we get into this next round of November elections. But uh, for now, thanks so much for, for coming on the, the podcast. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me.